Presbyterian Church Online. This Week in Worship, Pastor David concludes our series, Walking in Their Shoes, with a sermon called Making the Pleasant Land Desolate. Let's listen. Well, today, our scripture will ask us a very strange question. How do you make an abundant land desolate? Yes, how do you make a land that's flourishing with crops and vegetation resemble a dry and dusty field? Or in other words, how do you make this turn into this? Or this turn into this? Hmm, strange question, right? How do you make a pleasant land desolate? Well, That's one of the questions that God seeks to answer in our scripture this morning. And so by the end of the scripture, you're going to get an answer, but you're going to have to wait till then. So keep that question in your mind. As I mentioned, it is the last week in our series on walking in their shoes, where we've studied the prophets, those in-your-face biblical prophets of the Old Testament. So we will wrap up today with Zechariah. Uh, And here are Zechariah's words. We're going to jump right into the text because it's so good. Zechariah in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, says this. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Sherez and Regim Malek together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets. All right, that's a lot of buildup for this question. Should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Yes, the people of God are approaching the prophets and they're asking, should we continue to mourn and to fast as we have done for so many years? Why are they asking that question? Well, here's a little bit of the context of this. The people of God had been conquered by another nation, and they were sent into exile, living in other countries for 70 years. So during those 70 years, a festival or a fast and a a time of mourning was created to commemorate how much they were in a, a place of lament how much they were missing their land that they used to live in, their homes that they used to live in, now being held captive in foreign countries. So actually twice a year, they would all gather for a period of fasting, meaning not eating, and mourning, saying, God, we are so sad for where we currently are in our context. But... For two years, when Zechariah is writing, they are no longer in exile. They were able to come back to their land that they were formerly taken from. And so after two years, they go to the prophets and they say, do we still have to mourn and fast? I mean, after all, we're not in exile anymore. We're back in our own country, our own homeland. So do we continue these religious festivities. I bet they were expecting a a very quick yes or no answer from the prophets, but instead God decides to speak through Zechariah 
And I think God has quite a bit to get off of his chest. Here's how God responds. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? So the people asked God, do we still have to mourn and fast? And God asked the people, were you ever really mourning and fasting for me? Yes, God implies that somewhere along the line, in those 70 years of exile, the mourning and fasting transformed into a religious ritual without the sense of worship that it was created and intended to promote. Yes, the people of God were putting on a show for God, but their hearts were not in the religious festivities that they were a part of. And notice what God says about the land. He says, remember back when the land was prosperous, when it was bountiful, abundant, when all of the cities were at rest. Even then, God implies, their hearts were not in true worship, true worship of their God. So why is God saying this? I mean, isn't God being a little bit harsh? Well, here is God's complaint. Here is why God believes the people were not really worshiping God with their hearts. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. So what God has done here is God just shared with us the measuring stick that God uses to determine true worship. Yes, true worship, God says, involves doing the things on this list. The people thought that mourning and fasting while avoiding caring for the widow and the orphan, the foreigner and the poor would still be considered worship. But God disagrees. Yes, worship, God says, it, it involves striving for justice. It involves mercy and compassion for all people, that is encompassed in worship. And worship, God says in these verses, cannot exist in the presence of any kind of oppression, whether it's for the widow, fatherless, the foreigner, or the poor. And worship, God says, is not real if one's heart is secretly focused on plotting evil, is what Zechariah says, instead of focused on on God. Now, if you've watched some of the other sermons in this series, uh, you're seeing some familiar themes from these prophets. The prophets often spoke up over and over again 
for the most vulnerable in society. They spoke up to care for the widow, the orphan, to stand up for the rights of the foreigner and the poor. So in essence, God says that we are to care for the most vulnerable in society because that is one of the true forms of worship. Now, it's not just the Old Testament that harks on this theme. In the New Testament, we see James, which is Jesus' own brother, saying these words in the letter of James. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What a big statement for James to make. James says that religion, that God views as pure and as faultless, has less to do with the hymns that we sing and less to do with the time we spend gathered together and more to do with caring for the orphans and widows in their distress. Wow. I mean, I often think of worship as this right now us being together. When I think of worship, this is what I think of, and it is. This is worship, but it's not complete. Yes, worship to be complete also needs to take us into our own weeks. It also needs to extend to the vulnerable. It means us speaking up for those who need to be spoken up for. God says all of this to his people, saying, you've missed the point on worship. How do you think the people of God respond? Well, spoiler alert, not very well. Zechariah continues, but they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. This verse kind of reminds me of a stubborn child that just doesn't want to listen to one's parent. Uh, that, that seems similar to the people of God here, where the, God is speaking to them, but first, uh, Zechariah tells us they just refuse to pay attention. You know, it's, it's like when I'm trying to tell one of my kids something, and it's like they're pretending not to hear me. They're just going, doing one of these, and I'm like, I'm right here. Like, I, I know you can hear me. That's what God says that God feels like, that the people of God, they hear God, but they're just not paying attention. And so God then, even more forcefully through the prophets, gets their attention. And so, even though they hear God, we're told that the next thing they do is they just kind of turn their backs on God. They say, yeah, I know, I know you're back there, God, but I'm not really going to listen to that. But God doesn't even take that. God continues to speak to them. And so we're told that the next thing they do is they turn their backs. God continues to talk, and so they cover their ears. And the end result of these actions, it affects their hearts their essence of who they are. Their hearts are turned as hard as flint. Well, why did the people of God refuse to listen 
or to worship in the way that God requires. Well, let's expand on that for a second. Why do we refuse to listen or to worship in the way that God requires? Yeah, I believe that this scripture is not just for the people of God who lived 3,000 years ago, but this scripture speaks about human nature. It's about us. And here's a hard truth from the scripture today. Caring for the vulnerable of the world is a messy and complicated business. I mean, it really is. It's much simpler to simply worship in the way I'm comfortable worshiping in. Now, I believe that we all agree on the the problems that our world faces. It's the solutions that we seem to disagree about. Now, here are some examples. God says to actively care for the foreigner. How do we do that? I mean, how do we care for foreigners who are fleeing violence in their own countries and and coming to America's southern border asking for help while also maintaining the sovereignty of those borders? That is a messy, complicated question, isn't it? Here's another one. How do we properly care for the poor in our midst? I mean, how do we ensure that all people, regardless of their socioeconomic status or regardless of their starting point in life, are given the same opportunities as those whose families were much more well-off while still lifting up the value of work? That's a messy, complicated question, isn't it? Here's another one. How do we care for the orphans, the fatherless, those who, through no fault of their own, no longer have parents to care for them? Is it through a robust foster care system? Is it through having every Christian adopt one child? Is it a different solution? It's a messy, complicated question, isn't it? It is safer to avoid questions like these and to simply worship in the ways that we're comfortable worshiping. But let us hear the words of Zechariah today. True worship must delve into the messy and complicated questions of life. So our question then is how do we do this as a church? Well, I think a starting point is I encourage each person to view these sort of messy and complicated questions as an act of worship. Yes, approach these questions as if you are responding in worship to God, saying, God, where are you leading me in these questions? God, what do you have in store for these really challenging situations? What is the place of a Christian in these messy, complicated questions? These questions, I want to assure you, are not political conversations, although they are so often viewed that way. No, at their heart, these are spiritual conversations. So approach these questions about how to properly care for the poor, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, as your act of worship. The stakes are high. Because as we now are going to read what comes next after the people of God simply close their ears to God, here's how our scripture ends today. God says, When I called, 
They did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. And the land they left behind them was so desolate that no one traveled through it. And this is how they made the pleasant land desolate. Well, that's our original question from this morning, isn't it? How do you make a pleasant land desolate? Remember, God gets them to to think back to a time when the land was flourishing and bountiful and abundant, but now, now it is barren. Why? It's because an abundant and prosperous land depends on the quality of life and the access to success for each and every one of its inhabitants. This, this is, is what the images of either an abundant land or a barren land represents. Yes, the image of uh, abundancy is intimately connected with the land that cares for its vulnerable populations, the orphans, widows, foreigners, and the poor. Whereas the barren land, that image, is intimately connected with the land that ignores the poor, the vulnerable, and closes their ears to God's call. This is probably a good time to admit that this is a tough scripture. The prophets often give us tough scriptures. I mean, I find my mind particularly stirred by that opening line of God saying, when I called, they did not listen, and so when they call, I will not listen. That's a tough verse. I mean, I I believe in a God who always hears our prayers, but God also makes something else clear, where when God calls and tells us, hey, take care of the most vulnerable, but we choose to cover our ears, God's saying, well, then when you pray to me, maybe I'll choose to cover my ears. That's, that's a terrifying scripture, but I think it also can be viewed in a, in a positive way, because when we do hear from God, and when we do listen to God and work according to God's purposes of caring for the poor and the orphan and all of that, then God is saying, and I will hear from you as well when you come to me in prayer. Yes, as Christians, what this passage is saying, and really what this whole series was saying, is that we cannot cover our ears to the pains of this world. Now, this past year was full of challenging and controversial topics that just rocked this nation. I mean, we heard from black and brown Americans who have felt particularly disadvantaged by the systems of our country. We don't have all the answers, but we cannot cover our ears to their cries. Yes, we must engage in conversation and in prayer as a community of faith to discern how God wants us to respond. Our border has at times, over the past couple of years, been overwhelmed by migrant children and families fleeing gangs and poverty. We cannot cover our ears to their cries. We must engage in conversation and in prayer as a community of faith to discern how God wants us to respond. These are messy, complicated questions, and that, I believe, is right where God wants us to be. Now, this preaching series has come to an end, but our work Our work has not yet come to an end. No, Pastor Dana and I want to 
create a series of conversations so we can pray together and discern as a congregation where it is God is asking us to get involved. And so uh, what we're doing is we are filming each month an interview with a group of people whose stories we believe need to be told. We do not want to do the opposite and simply cover our ears to their stories. So the first Sunday of every month, we are going to release that video on our website, and I encourage you to watch it. it we are taking a posture of learning to simply hear from other people's stories so that we as a community of faith can get more of a lay of the land of some of the complicated issues that are facing our country and our world today. Um, our very first uh, video is titled Starting Points. And this is where Pastor Dana and I simply tried to have a lay of the land to say, well, this is where we're going. You know, this is what this process looks like. And the starting point, it's not an interview. Um, the rest will be. But this starting points uh, workshop is available today on our website. And so I encourage you to go home after you grab a homecoming meal and to watch it and to then begin thinking about what does it look like to engage these topics as a church and a community of faith. Uh, here's a preview of the Starting Points workshop so you can whet your appetite a little bit. Let's show that now. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is David Bonema. I'm one of the pastors of Unity Presbyterian Church, and I want to welcome you to our Starting Points Workshop. And so prejudice is often uh, creating stereotypes about one type of person or one group of people saying, well, it's, they're all kind of like that. We do this all the time in our political system. You can say, ah, all Republicans care about are their own paychecks. All Democrats care about are free giveaways. Prejudice. Now, how do we address blind spots? Because we simply cannot go through every life experience that a person has. So, therefore, we must look inward. In order to address our blind spots, we have to look inside. And I like that term, it changes the lens. Uh, because I think sometimes we think like, oh, they're gonna be talking about racism. I'm not a racist, okay, yeah. I don't have to watch that. But it's not really about that, is it? Right. It's about, wait, there are larger issues at play that affect all of us. And so then how, as we as a church, do we work together on, on really, um, as a united front, working through some of these issues? We are starting something brand new that's going to build off of what we have already um, discerned and studied together. So we have a series of workshops and interviews, and they will be debuting the first Sunday of every month. You can see that each month we are just seeking to hear stories. Uh, either Pastor Dana or myself will be doing the interviews, uh, and the, the scope of this project is to learn and to listen. So I hope you'll join us each month.
If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.